Bridges to Bailey, back to Bridges, once more to Bailey, now it's Bridges, here's Bailey, oh my, Bridges, Bailey, Bailey, Bridges, and they scored! Last play of the game, 98 yards to go, and these boys ain't got no more hope than a pig in a parlor. Pitch goes to the right, defense closing in, and he's floating. He's in the air, a human being is taking flight, he's flying to the 50, the end zone, touchdown! The piggies have done it, I turned, I turned, I turned, the piggies win! Oh, and Roger Federer is clearly mouthing the F word at the crowd, and they are letting him hear it. What a disgraceful display from the Swiss. Oh, what's this? He's throwing it back. This could change the sport. A terrible day for fishing. A great day for the fish. This is Apocalypse Sports Radio. And now your host, Shane Ryan. More embarrassing with each passing episode, that intro. Pure humiliation. <laughs> All right, everybody, this is Apocalypse Sports Radio, episode lucky number 13. I am Shane Ryan, and I am pleased, honored, humbled, and indeed blessed to have on the show with me today Mr. Chris Jones. Uh, For those of you who like good sports writing and indeed good writing in general, Chris's name is already familiar to you. Uh, He worked for years for Esquire. He worked for ESPN The Magazine. Of course, he worked for Grantland. Uh, In that time, he won multiple National Magazine Awards and just generally one of the Really, really great feature writers uh, for many years. And then in 2016, he said, screw this. I'm out. I'm going to become a Hollywood big shot. And that is just what he did. Uh, his latest project, he's a writer on the upcoming Netflix show Away, uh, which is about space and which is based on an article that Chris wrote for Esquire a couple years ago. And uh, my understanding, we didn't go too deep into it, but my understanding is that it's like a zanier version of Mars Attacks. So <laughs> that's something to look forward to. Uh, no, but it was awesome to have Chris on. We talked about his career. Uh, we talked about the transition to screenwriting. We talked about all the the bloody uh, bloody knuckle fights he used to get in online. We talk about uh, the time he made the biggest mistake of his life and inadvertently kickstarted my career. Uh, and it was really open, and I had a blast talking with him, so it was cool. And we will get to that uh, conversation in just one moment. First, before we do, let me do a quick plug for the Apocalypse Sports Network. If you're listening to this for the first time, you may not know that there are two of these podcasts each week. Uh, one of them, like this, is a uh, longer-form interview piece, and the other is a shorter, quicker sort of variety show with some comedy bits and some sports bits and things like that. Also, at ApocalypseSports.net, I do five blog posts each week. Now, a lot of this content is free, but you can get all of it uh, for just $3 a month, uh, and you can subscribe at ApocalypseSports.net or at Patreon.com slash ApocalypseSports. I think you'll enjoy it, okay? I think it'll brighten your life. That's just me saying it. I may be biased, but uh, hey, give it a crack. Go to the website, see the free stuff, see if it's up your alley. All right, now let's get to it. The next voice you hear... Well, will be my voice, but the next voice you hear after that will be the voice of Chris Jones. Segment break. All right, Chris Jones is in the house. Chris, thank you very much for joining me. Hey, no problem, Shane. Thanks for having me. All right, so I have about 3,000 questions I would love to ask you, but I think a good place to start is to say that, uh, let's say between 2006 and 2016, you were somebody whose name I saw constantly, not only because you were always writing great stuff, uh, but because you love to talk about writing, because you weren't afraid to mix it up on Twitter. Uh, and then in 2016, that all completely changed. And so, you know, I think people would enjoy knowing uh, what are you up to now? What is life like uh, in the post-journalism era? Uh, life is pretty good. Um, that's hilarious. You don't have to, like, beat her. I, I, I was thinking about this actually just this morning, how I spent much of my time fighting on the Internet. Um, <laughs> which is not it's not super productive. It's a waste. Uh I'm still a writer. I have transitioned mostly to screenwriting. Um, I was lucky enough to have a story I wrote for Esquire become a, a fictional drama uh, that's going to come out on Netflix. It's called Away, uh, A-W-A-Y. Um, and it will, it's starring Hilary Swank and Josh Charles, and it's coming out sometime in the fall. Um, and then I'm writing some film scripts uh, uh, at the moment as well. Now, was there something specific that uh, led you to make that change to go into this different stuff? Did you get sick of journalism? What was uh, what was the impetus for that? Because I, you know, I wouldn't ask that of most normal people because 
uh, a lot of times that choice is made for us now. And so, you know, if in somebody in a year is like, Shane, why did you get away from journalism? The answer would be because nobody wanted to pay me anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, kind of like that for me too, buddy. Uh, no, I can't believe that. I mean, it's not that. It's like, this is, it, I don't know whether to give you a long or a short answer. So Esquire, I was at Esquire from 2002 till 2016. Our big boss, David Granger, got fired by Hearst. Mm-hmm. And when you work for a magazine, you work for the magazine, but you kind of really, you work for the editor. Um, you know, I had had the same like article, like my, the deputy editor of Esquire, Peter Griffin was my editor for like 13 years and Granger was my boss. And so when Granger got fired, we all quit like Esquire, that our Esquire was over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like in May. And then in July, my marriage ended, uh, was 2016 was a very bad year. Um, and it was like, I just didn't know, I guess by, by modern journalism standards, I'm slow and I'm expensive and you know, there's nowhere Esquire I could do. I was on salary, like I was on contract. And so I could go like report something for six months and because they were kind and they would let me do, you know, if you're working freelance or you're writing by piece, like it doesn't make any financial sense to do that. And there, there were fewer and fewer places like ESPN, the magazine I used to write for it shut. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a handful of places that will do big journalism now, like the Atlantic, New Yorker, like even Esquire doesn't really do what it used to do. And it's like, so I just, I just started seeing this place where, you know, I was in my mid forties. I had hopefully another 20 years of working and I was like, I got to figure something out. Cause I, you know, I can't just keep banking on this. So yeah. Yeah. Screenwriting became kind of a, it had always been a hope. Like I had tried to start taking nibbles at it for like 10 years. And then when I lost my job and my marriage ended, I was like, well, now if I'm going to take a swing, yeah, now's the time to do it. And, and I got really lucky, uh, and the first project that, uh, you know, to come about actually got made, which is ridiculous, but yeah, um, no, it's amazing. And it's, it's, it is interesting to hear you say that, uh, because, you know, in my mind, you're somebody who it's like, oh, of course, anybody, you know, would want to hire Chris Jones. You could be on staff anywhere and this this would be easy. Uh, I think 10 years ago when it started to seem realistic that I might have a quote unquote career uh, in, <laughs> I'm going to say quote unquote journalism, uh, that, uh, you know, it was a thing of like, I would, you know, Chris Jones is a career that you look at and go, oh, that would be awesome. That would be something I would love to do. Uh, and as you say, it's getting harder and harder. And the way things look for me right now, it's like a constant hustle. It's writing short things quickly. If I want to do something long, it's something I have to do on spec on my own time and then hope somebody will pay me like 400 bucks for it or, or whatever. Uh, and so to hear you say that that's also the situation you found yourself in, not exactly like mine, but in the sense that if I want to keep doing it, what I've been doing, it's going to be an insane hustle. Uh, that's surprising to me uh, to hear that. It's, you know what disappeared is the is like the staff writer. Like it hasn't disappeared entirely, but like that idea of, you know, and, and I look back on it and I go, God, what a ridiculously like privileged position I was in. Like the way it worked at Esquire, we were always on one year contracts, which always felt like a little nervy. Um, like every year you had to perform to get uh, renewed. And, um, but we got really good money. And my, my contract was to write six stories a year. Yeah. And, I was like, and it's some, some years I would write five and some years I'd write seven. And like it, it you know, it wasn't really but like that job is really rare now, like where you're just a writer at large who can ruminate. Yeah. And I just I just didn't know how to do the job. I, I, I didn't know how to do the job where I couldn't, you know, like I, I sometimes spent like eight months reporting a story and like and my writing was never strong enough. Where I could just write, like I needed to do the reporting to get a story. Like that, the, the reporting was what I did. The writing was like a secondary part of the process for me. So the idea of being a writer who just churns, like I, it really like intimidated me to be honest. Yeah. Like I marvel at guys who can just write something every day. Like I'm just not. I sound so precious as this is coming out of my mouth, but I'm just no, not that guy. No, you made a choice not to be like a monkey on a treadmill. And it's, <laughs> it's not that. It's not, I just don't have that skill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like I, I started as a, as a newspaper writer and I was terrible at it. Right, like, right. Like, because I just, you know, I found, 
a 10,000 word feature for me is way less intimidating than a 400 word newser. Yeah. Like I could, I, I was terrible at those. Like it, uh, I just never got it. And I think everyone has different, that was not my skill set. No. Yeah. And obviously, you know, some people are intimidated by having to write something longer than a thousand words. I mean, it was, so it is a completely different thing for a lot of people. Um, you and I, I think you're similar in the mindset of, I really enjoy reporting more than I like writing. I, by the way, I would disagree with the notion that you're not a good writer. I think you're a very good writer, but I appreciate your Canadian, uh, humility there. <laughs> well, but people have made fun of me for this. Like, uh, I worked at Esquire, you know, so my story was, would it be in between fucking Charlie Pierce and Tom Juno. Right. It's yeah. a really, it's an easy way to feel shitty about your writing. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just, yeah. and so I was always like reporting is what I can do to balance the ledgers. Yeah. Because I don't think it's false. Mo- like I am not a stylist. Like I write very, I think I write very sort of meat and potatoes. Like, so the reporting was my way of my way of fixing it. So yeah, it's not false modesty. Like when you, there's this funny thing where young writers are like, well, I want to be X and it's, it's, you do because the money's great and the profile's good and you get access and all that kind of stuff. But there's a different kind of pressure that comes mm-hmm. when you're surrounded by really talented writers. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. Having to compare like to those guys. Very nervous. Like when Grantland started up, yeah. I was scared shitless. <laughs> like when that, like that list of names started, the bill started like, tweeting out names i was like holy crap like what are we doing like well imagine yeah. imagine if you were shane ryan uh, starting with Grant. <laughs> must have been delighted yeah I, I believe you i was delighted yeah that was the thing i think when you get low enough there's there's only positives you're like yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna bask in the reflected light of all these people i'm not i'm not even gonna pretend i can like uh fight on the same level um well yeah, real quick, me, you mentioned like, charlie I, I can only blow this i can only blow this That's yeah yeah <laughs> You mentioned Charlie Pierce, and there's somebody who's really interesting to me because he, you know, you think of him as like a, you know, an esteemed writer, but there's somebody who fits in with the internet perfectly, right? Like he, he has the speed. It doesn't matter how old he is or whatever. He, uh, he's like the number one political blogger at this point. It seems like he is the fastest. He's the fast, the best fast writer I think working. Like he can write a thousand. And the thing is, his brain is like the library of congress like he'll come out with some reference so it'll be like a biblical reference and then he'll oh this reminds me of something that happened in 1862 and then he'll be like uh and then some funny like pop culture thing and it all come i remember tom junod saying he they've covered i'm gonna get this wrong they're at a convention or something together like a political convention or something and tom watched charlie writing and was describing like the smoke and sparks that are coming <laughs> off the lap. And Tom, meanwhile, takes like eight hours to write his 400 words. Yeah. And meanwhile, Charlie's written six posts, you know, <laughs> several Facebook recipes. And like, he's just, yeah, Charlie, Charlie's a machine. And there are guys, there are guys who are just good at being fast. And I, that's not, not me. Well, okay. In my list of cliche questions to ask you here, uh, next up is how is screenwriting different from prose writing? Chris, but I actually do want to know. Uh, it's it, it got to be a completely different animal. And, you know, we talk about the bureaucracy and the trouble of, of journalism. You know, the world of Hollywood is equally complex and maddening, I'm sure. How have you found that transition? Um, I'm trying to come up with a good answer. It's It's been, I don't want to sound, it's hard for me to talk about because it makes me sound, these are not the right times to like, brag not brag these are not the right times to like be happy i think in some weird way <laughs> like, uh it's been it's been wonderful yeah wonderful like i've loved all of it and and uh it's different tv writing especially is really different from journalism because it's so collaborative so the way tv writing works is um and sorry to your listeners who know this and i'm talking like a, they're children but you gather in a literal room, the writer's room, and there'll be a group of six or eight or 15 writers. Mm-hmm. And together you sort of work out the plot of the season. Uh, so there's, you can imagine a room with like covering cork boards and index cards. And you're like, every character has a color. And so you make sure like, and you work out in our case, it was a 10 episode season and you work out the plot. And then you go off and you write your, and I say your, like I put that in quotes, like your episodes. Yeah. Um, 
But like there might be things that you wrote or pitched in the room that appear in someone else's episode. And, and everybody else, else is collaborating in yours as well. And yours. Yeah. And so your name is on it. But it's like, so in, in the case of a way, like my name is on episode 108. So the eighth episode of the first season, mm-hmm. uh, there are parts of that episode I, I did not write. And there are, are parts of other episodes that I did help with. You know, and it's like, so it's a, it's yeah. a very collaborative journalism, especially magazine journalism. It was like me and Peter. And that's the story. No and, and, mo- and let's be honest, mostly you. I know they make editors make big changes, but you're doing all the work until the editing stage. You're doing the work. And, if, yeah. and so when your name goes on it, you're like, yeah, I wrote, I own this. This is what I made. And that, and that, but TV is not like that. Now, film scripts are more independent. Um, and the chances are very high that, that a screenplay, a film script will be written by multiple people. It's just that the studio will take it from the first person, give it to someone else to rewrite, give it to someone else to polish. Um, so it's, 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 it's less collaborative in the sense that you're not sitting in a room together. Uh, although there are like screenwriting partnerships, but that's, I would say that's the principal difference is that it's much more a team sport than what I did. Yeah. Uh, and, and you almost answered this, but is there comfort in that? You know, as somebody like, like you used to do writing everything myself, it seems like it would be kind of nice. Like, Oh yeah, here's 15 people that have my back. I still have freedom to go do something, but it's not all on me. Yeah. Well, and especially as a new guy. And what was what was strange about our situation is uh, I'm I'm 46, as you can see, uh, I look 100. And <laughs> That's not true. I was the I was the new kid. Yeah. Everyone in our room had worked on shows, and I think I was probably the oldest person in the room, and I, and I'm the new one. Yeah. So for me, having that like team atmosphere was so important, and I got super like. I was told several times, like, don't think that this is what it is. Like our room was just a lovely group of people. Right. Um, you know, the, 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 our showrunners, Jess and Andrew are great. Andrew, you know, I worked really, I, I was sort of Andrew's like source. Andrew wrote the pilot. Andrew Hinderocker is this guy who wrote the pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like his source. I would like help him, you know, it's a space drama. So it's like, I've written a lot about space and, uh and andrew's become one of my best friends and that's just like that's just luck yeah like we got paired together and we happened to hit it off really well and i like him as a collaborator but i also really like him as a friend and and that's true of everybody in that room and i kept like i say i was told all the time there are nightmare rooms yeah i I, you know i've never been in a writer's room but i have a lot of friends in la and the stories you hear are of backbiting and ambition and competitiveness and especially in comedies which is not what you're doing but yeah i think i've heard it in dramas as well I've heard it in comedies where like people will purposely not laugh at your jokes. So they like, so that it won't get in and stuff like that. Like yeah, what, our, a, what a great environment to try to be funny, huh? Which is like stone faced vipers all around the table. Oh my God. No, our, our room was like a bunch of playwrights and everyone, it was kind and supportive and I, you know, it, it was a wonderful experience. You know, I think the show is good. Um, I loved it. And screenwriting, I mean, not to sound like a complete dick, but like it's a golden age in television in some way in screenwriting. Like in some weird way, it's probably almost easier now to get a TV show made than to pitch and land a 15,000 word feature. I'm going to tell all my friends struggling in LA that you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make it a competition. See if they can land a 15,000 word feature somewhere. No, it's true. Yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right. It's Uh, like, yeah. Is so, this the, go ahead, go ahead. No, so just my experience of it so far, and I'm new, but so far it's been terrific. And hey. none of the none of the Hollywood stuff. Like for me, it's like the only people I've met in Hollywood have been, and I've met now. I've met some like our executive producer. One of our executive producers is Matt Reeves, who's directing the Batman. Couldn't be a nicer guy. Like I've not met any terrible Hollywood people. Like yeah. one of our one of our bosses is Jason Kadams, who made Friday Night Lights. Great. Like it's like. I don't know. I guess I, I know all that stuff exists. I just have been lucky enough not to step in it yet. Yeah. And so that, I was going to ask you that. So you live in Ontario, but this is something where when, when it's writing season to use a, to use a term from the biz. Yeah. Uh, no, but do you, you, so you go out to LA and then what do you do? Spend a couple months out there or how does it work? Yeah. So we were, we, um, you know, we were working out of Jason Kadam's office and Jason, Jason's a family guy and he runs a very sort of family room. So we worked like, normal hours. We work 10 to five Monday to Friday. Um, and then you'd have chunks off. So I, uh, 
my, you know, I'm divorced. My kids live part of the time with their mom here in Port Hope. I lived in Santa Monica. I would come back, you know, periodically. Uh, I think our writing season was about five months. Um, oh, wow. So that's, yeah, that's longer than I thought. So oh, yeah. And I, but, I, but we, we had three weeks off at Christmas. Like, it was all very, like, reasonable. And I could fly back and forth, and it was fine. And now, you know, because I think a lot of rooms now are virtual, so I'm not sure how this will work out from here, but our first season, at least I'll miss the snacks. If that's what we do. <laughs> oh my God. The food is ridiculous. That's the other good part about screenwriting. Yeah. Compared to like a, a buffet at a ACC game in January, it's, it can't be much worse. Oh my God. It's so much better. It's yeah. like, it's, it was, it's what was funny is like TV people or people in the business. It's what they're used to. You know, I was coming from journalism. Yeah. And so I'm like, wait, we get, what? Like, I guess get to pick a same, what, it, you know, they're like, this is how it works. And I'm going, not. Yeah. Your macaroni and cheese is heated. <laughs> Amazing. It's like business class. I had to take two connections to get to Las Vegas. What the heck? Uh, and so this is another career though, where, okay, you have this Netflix show. Hopefully it's great and lasts 80 seasons, but it's another thing with, you know, you're talking about one year contracts where, it could also be insecure, right? Like you, do you know what your next project will be? Or is it kind of like, we have to wait to see how a way does uh, before we figure out what, what happens after that? I mean, it matters how things do for sure. Um, I've got two film scripts, you know, that I'm contracted to right now. And that's what I'm doing uh, mostly. Uh, film is a lot harder to get made. So like, who knows if any of those will actually materialize. Um, yeah. But yeah, you wait and see wait and see how it does. Hopefully we get to do a second season. And, and uh, but it's very, um, I don't know what the word is contractual. Like it's short term. Right. And it feels like it's what, what was weird for me too, is we, I felt so bonded to everybody in the room. Jess Goldberg, who was like one of the showrunners, uh, you know, when I got hired to work in the room, she, it was like after my divorce and everything. And she was like, I think it'll be good for you. Like, I think it'll be nice for you to spend the day with people and not sit at home you know, like a writer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was, it was so true. Like it was such a wonderful yeah. thing to like go to an office. Like that was new for, I, I don't know, I, I had never worked in an office. Right. Like I, so to go into an office and blah, 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 it was like, it was great. So I hope I, you know, where'd I go? Where, I lost that train of thought. I hope. Just the short term, the short term nature. Oh, short term. Yeah. It felt like summer camp. Yeah. And then at the end you're like, well, bye. Like, I hope we get to do this again. <laughs> like it was, it was like a, it's, you have this very intense, intimate bond with people and then it's over and hope you get to keep going. But I tell you what, that's like having experienced it, you know, I hear about shows being canceled or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, that's sad. <laughs> I have to imagine Chris that even when it's not canceled, uh, like somebody like you leaving the camaraderie of the writer's room, leaving sunny LA and heading back to the frigid Ontario wastelands. That's gotta be sad too. It's the most surreal. If you want to live a surreal life, commute between Los Angeles and Port Hope, Ontario, Canada. <laughs> it's like, I don't know uh, anything about Port Hope, but it sounds like Northern exposure to me. That's my only frame of reference. Did you see the movie it? No, the Stephen King movie. No, I never did. No, that's Port Hope. It was okay. filmed here. Uh, that, it's a, it's a tiny little town on Lake Ontario. It's lovely. It's delightful. It I've nice. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very bucolic existence. It's weird when, uh, you go from a place where like there's a David Chang restaurant around the corner to yeah. McDonald's is fancy. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. All right. So I, I think you've spent the last 15 minutes answering this question, but do you ever miss, <laughs> do you ever miss journalism? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh my God. All the time. It's like, what parts, what parts appeal to you? What parts do you go? I, I wouldn't mind doing that again. For me, the best part of journalism It's two things. It's it's one, and this will sound kind of schmaltzy. One is like the company of writers. Mm -hmm. Like I, if you want to hang out with, like the default person is going to be interesting. Hang out with a group of writers. Yeah. Someone will, everyone, they're storytellers. So they're going to have stories. They're going to be funny. They're going to be acerbic. They're going to be smart. Like it's just a, it's, I love hanging out with writers and like, you you know, when we were just talking before we seeing you at the U S open, like that, the big group of writers in a tent 
right in a golf tournament. It sounds like the stupidest thing in the world. It's ridiculous when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. But I love it. Like, I love hanging out with, like, a press box. I love a baseball press box. Yeah. Like, I love I love that sort of, and after the game, you're getting a beer and, like, so all that kind of stuff. Uh, professionally, what I miss is is the reporting. Um, yeah. In some ways, screenwriting is is this weird relief where, I, for the first time in my life, I have permission to make shit up. Right. If you get into a corner, it's like, well, I can just invent my way out of this. Whereas like with journalism, as you know, like you run into a dead end, it's a dead end. Like you can't just sort of get around it. And so, but I miss like dipping into little worlds, especially with the kind of stuff we were doing at Esquire, where you get to spend time with people. Like, you know, I did a story on Teller, the magician, where I got to spend like a few months in the world of magic. And that's heaven for me, like just finding a new universe and people who are passionate about strange things. Like I love those people. And like, and so yeah, yeah. that's know, what I miss. I miss like getting on a plane and going to wherever and meeting someone cool. Yeah. And we were talking about, um, I emailed you, I think uh, less than a year ago about a, a Robert Carroll story you did. And then I was looking today at all the things you've written. Yeah. There's too many to name, but just to name a few, you wrote something about Conor McGregor, uh, Penelope Cruz, if we're talking celebrities, you did a Robert Carroll thing, but then you also wrote the things that carried him, which of course, uh, you know, one of the great stories about uh, a soldier coming back in a coffin. You wrote a Roger Ebert piece. You wrote a piece about Zaneville, your space piece. I mean, the sheer variety of that, I think, is like the stuff of dreams almost uh, in terms of a career. So I, I can imagine, despite um, how nice screenwriting it is and, and probably a huge relief, that these are things being thrust into these weird worlds for a little bit. Uh, that that can be addicting and you must miss it a little bit. It was so exciting. I never, I never... I will say this, Shane, like I never took my job for granted. Like I never thought, oh, I've made it and I can just coast. I always thought I was going to be fired. And I always, I always knew that it was special. Like I, and, and I don't, what I don't like, if that is it for journalism for me, what I don't, I don't have any regrets about like, I've lots of regrets, but I don't have any regrets <laughs> about um, having taken it like for granted. I, when you're sitting at NASA talking to an astronaut or sitting in Robert Caro's office, yeah. like sitting next to like one of your heroes and watching them do their work, like what a privilege, like for someone like me to sit in Robert Caro's office, it was like being invited into heaven, you know, it's like, so it's, it's this every day I went to work, I was excited. I was happy. I was just, it was, it was the best job. Like it was the best job. All right, between Robert Caro writing the end of the uh, LBJ memoirs, uh, not memoirs, uh, <laughs> the biographies, and George R. R. Martin writing the final Game of Thrones book, <laughs> what's more likely, do you think? These are two I'm dying. I'm absolutely dying for, and I'm just so afraid oh, neither one is ever going to happen. I know. Robert Caro, I hope, I, I, Robert Caro is like more important to me. Um, yeah. And I know he's working on it. George R. R. Martin, it seems unclear whether he's working. And <laughs> yeah. if I was him, I would be like, no, I'm going to go sit on a boat. Uh, yeah, like, screw you. I would, <laughs> yeah, screw you. Like, <laughs> like I, would have, I would have very little motivation to write. Because yeah. you're going to do it. You already have more money than God. And then you, and then you write it, and a bunch of people are going to shit on you. Like, no matter what you write. If I was saying, yeah, I'd be completely. like, there's, there's almost no way to make people happy. The only thing is the end of the TV show was so bad that by, by comparison, he might have a little like, okay, the, we're getting the real thing now. But, the bar is low. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Maybe a little bit, but um, I, I guess, I guess if I was him, I wouldn't touch it. I think Robert Caro, I don't want to play armchair psychologist to a great man, but I'm not hundred percent sure he wants to finish. That's interesting. Like it, it, for me, it's like, he's done it so long. When I did that story, it would have been 2012. And he's told me that he had done all the reporting for the final book and he just had to write it and he would probably have it out in 2015. Yeah. Well, 2020. Yeah, here we are five years later. And he's reporting. Like I read a story the other day about how he wants to go to Vietnam, but the pandemic is 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 not letting. And I'm like, that's so crazy. Yeah. Robert, you were done. You said you were done. Like, <laughs> And he has it in his will that no one can finish it. So if he doesn't finish it. Well, it, it is interesting because of how long he's worked on it. There's probably that psychological phenomenon of when this book is over, the life is over. <laughs> and, you know, just the thing of like, as long as this continues, I have a mission. Uh, I have a mission. It's that waking up every day. Right. And that's I, that's one of the hard things about writing in some ways is 
there are days where you wake up and you don't, I loved not, not having a routine. Like I'm definitely not built a nine to five or whatever, but like mm-hmm. you, you do, there are periods of your life as a writer where you lose your aim yeah. and you're like, you don't know what you're, what am I doing? Like, what's my, uh, and I can imagine the first day he wakes up without having that book to work on will be like, a he'll feel completely unmoored. I mean, it's been more than 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I get what I, I don't understand it fully, like what he's done because it's, it's a, particular kind of mania but it's it i see where he's i can see why you wouldn't want to finish yeah like it's 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 the end of a whole chapter of his own life yeah now speaking of talking about journalism you are somebody as i mentioned before who i think you always had strong opinions on writing and (laughs) that's such a nice way of putting it no i mean i it's it's a nice thing to say i mean i I always thought they were intelligent and, and worth listening to and reading uh but you had this this funny way of clashing with uh, all the Deadspin crew, like guys like Tom Skoka. I know Jezebel. I thought it was hilarious. As somebody who hates getting like no access to a celebrity, I thought it was great that you did a Penelope Cruz story, but wrote two thousand words about bullfighting because you got you know ninety minutes with her or whatever. Uh, I love that stuff, but you were criticized for it. Um, but you were never afraid to get in there and kind of mix it up and. How do you feel about that now? I mean, it sounds like before you were kind of like, well, that was unproductive. But uh, looking back on the legacy of the online brawls, uh, <laughs> how does that seem to you today? I regret them all. Really? Really? I really do. It was, it was, it was a combination. It was a combination of... It was a combination of my personality, which was, I would say, combative. Um, it was a combination of, it was, it was that I was like sort of unhappy with life generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was new to the internet. Uh, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a person, I still am. I'm a person who feels things pretty deeply. Um, and so what I think some people would view as just like an off the cuff remark would, would sting. Right. And, and my instinct when stung then was to fight. Like, and, and that was true, like in person, like if I've been like, I, I'm not proud of that. I've been in many fights, like, oh, like it, actual physical fights. Yeah. Physical fights. And it's just because I, I, and I don't know, I can't explain the root of all of that. Um, and, and so I would take things like personally. Um, and I think in the, I think, I think some of the people who took runs at me were unfair and unkind. Like I think, and I think, I think sometimes it was motivated by sort of bad things. Um, but, but by responding, you invite so much more of it onto yourself, right. especially with that dead spin crew who delighted in the fact that I got pissed off. I think I'm not all of them. I mean, some of them, and yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah, don't yeah. want to paint some, some people criticize me with perfectly valid criticisms that I should have been like gracious enough to take and been like, yeah, you're right. Like I'm, right. I'm sometimes a blowhard and I'm sometimes an idiot. And like, and I am, I am those things. Like it's <laughs> I, I, what's, what's, what, what happened was that 2016 year when, you know, like losing my job of 14 years and then losing my marriage of 14 years within three months, like all of a sudden mean tweets didn't really sting me. Right. So there, yeah, the perspective of bigger, shittier things happening. <laughs> and it was, that was like the first time in my life when I faced like real challenge, yeah. like, yeah. like my life had been pretty easy. And so just that 2016 and then, and then it's funny, I tweeted about this. I went to therapy. Um, I had Gary, the therapist and Gary was like, what motivates you in your work? And I was like, well, honestly, it's like hate. It's like anger, competition. Like I want to beat people. Yeah, um, yeah. That's you know, talk about Zanesville. Like Chris Heath from GQ was. I wanted to kick his head in. I like, remember was, that, like, and people wrote about that even before the stories came out. They said, "Oh shit! Here are these two GQ and Esquire. They're going to be right there. It's going to be. How can you not judge? Right? Uh, so, oh, it was awful. And I was just like, I was, I was like a boy with a skinned knee. Like I was like, oh my god, I can't believe he's here. And like I, 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 I just <laughs> ran around Zanesville like an idiot. And Chris. You know, I have since tried to make, I've been like, uh, uh, so Gary, one of the things Gary was like, wouldn't it be better to be motivated because you like, like something like you're motivated because you love it. And yeah. I was like, well, yeah, but that's not how I'm built. But over the course of several years of like, this sounds wanky, but like pretty hard personal work. Um, I've become that 
I've become more like that. I still have a temper, but like it, yeah, yeah, it's better. And like, so you know, I've written Chris Heath and his editor and apologized. And um, I had a lovely, I had a terrible falling out with David Roth. Um, and it was my fault, and it was you know with the classical, um, and and I I felt bad about like I and I wrote him. Remember David Roth was like who seems like a lovely guy. He tweeted something like I blocked two people, Chris Jones and Pizza Hut, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, what kind of animal have I become? Um, to and be David on a level I, with Pizza Hut, yeah. To be that reprehensible on Twitter that David Roth deigned me to be one of two things worth blocking and the other being Pizza Hut. Um, and did you know him personally or was it just... The, the, it was just, it was just that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. Like if, if yeah. I hung out with David... And, and I want to say David and I have had... like He was very great. I wrote him recently and we had a very nice exchange and he was uh, lovely about it. He... Mm -hmm. he um, I think 90% of these people, if we were in a bar together, we'd get along great. Yeah, it's the internet and stupid shit, and you forget that there's a person at the other side. And like you were saying, like, uh, it was funny when you were saying earlier about how you would look at me as like the person living the good as a journalist. Like you would say, like I'm the one who will always find work. Sure. Yeah. And I remember having it out with uh, someone who said something really mean about one of my stories, and he was like, "But you're you're like impervious to criticism because you're you have this job." And I'm mm -hmm. like. I'm still a person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, like, yeah it's, like, it's, it's a weird idea that you suddenly have this shield. And it's like, I didn't. To give like the very, very small, insignificant version of that, I remember just when I started at Grantland, this was the first time that I had any kind of like audience bigger than, you know, 100 people reading a blog or something. And mm -hmm. I was sick one day and I wrote a story. I remember about Florida State basketball's defense and some blogger who. He was like respected, you know, kind of like an SB Nation kind of thing, maybe with like 4,000 followers, but like an X's and O's guy was like, this this is moronic. I can't believe Grantland would hire this guy. He knows nothing about it. And here's exactly why he's wrong. And I remember like feeling sick that day and being so angry because I was so insecure. And that same phenomenon of like, oh, other people look and say, oh, how lucky he got a job at Grantland. Me feeling like I don't belong here, like, and screw this guy. And I like went back at him and I, you know, in the, in the most like petty, horrible, stupid ways. And then somebody else wrote to me and says, this looks really, really bad. And I realized it looked really, really bad. Um, and yeah, I think that's kind of what you're getting at is probably you have a little bit of that same regret when you look back on some of this stuff where this idea of engaging, it's so hard to resist because it's so personal and if you're a combative person by nature, you, you can't let an insult stand, right? But in the end, it, it works against you a, a thousand percent. That was a big lesson for me. Um, it, it doesn't fix anything. It, do, it certainly does. It makes everything worse, right? It, it, makes every, it doesn't make you feel good. In yeah. fact, what you've done is spread bad feeling. And it's like, um, what I found, like if someone's critical of you and you like engage them properly, like if you go, listen, this is the, they often are like apologetic or understanding or yeah, if you yeah. But of course, if you call them an asshole, they're going to call you an asshole. Like, it's like, it's just, it's, it's. And so is everybody else because you're the big, you're the, you know, you're the one with. Well, then you become, then you're punching down and all this. And I was always like punching down, like, no, if I, and what I will say is I never started a fight. Yeah. Yeah. I always responded. Right. And then it was always like, well, you punch down. And I'm like, well, fucking guys shouldn't have said anything. Like, it, you know, it's <laughs> like, it, it's a, and, but the bigger person it is true the bigger person should just be able to like yep. let it let it drift or like if they do have a legitimate criticism you address it and you then you incorporate that criticism into your work it's like it's it's it was just a it was an ugly combination of things i regret it very much i mean the last guy i remember the last time i fought on twitter and i will all for a certain audience i will always be the guy who fights on twitter like i've not <laughs> I've not fought on Twitter in like four or five years. Well, this is your retribution tour, this podcast. This is the <laughs> podcast. And like the way I am on Twitter now, I'm sure some people look at my Twitter now and they think I'm some kind of like, that I'm high all the time or something. And I'm like, I just, I just want things to be nice. Like I just, I just. Well, it is. I mean, I was looking at your Twitter and you mentioned your therapist tweet and I was looking and I kind of laughed today because it was that one, which was very serious and heartfelt. And then the one right below it from last night was about mayonnaise. Oh. <laughs> about the peak of your Twitter experience was like getting all these mayonnaise feedback the day before. But that was like, Shane, this will sound so stupid, but that was like, I was like sitting there last night going, I somehow built this fall. I, I started telling stories during the quarantine. I would tell these like, every Friday I would tell yeah. a story. And yeah. And one, I told the story about George Clooney. 
I, I, I fucked up George Clooney's couch. This uh, <laughs> long involved story, but I, and I told this story and overnight I got like 20,000 new followers because of this. Really? Story. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, are you expecting a George Clooney story every day? Cause I don't have that in me. Like that's, that, that was the one George Clooney story I have. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, but the, the, for whatever reason, the people drawn to that story, they're really nice. And like, so now I have this crowd of followers who are like really kind and, <laughs> and happy. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And, I'm, and I'm trying to keep it. And so, yes, I, I just tweeted like how much I love mayonnaise. I realized like, this is a stupid thing. I was making my lunch yesterday. My girlfriend was like, you could eat a sandwich every day. And I like, I eat a sandwich every day and every day I have mayonnaise. I was, I was realizing mayonnaise is the one thing I eat every day of my life. Yeah. I was like, thank you, Mr. Mayonnaise or whoever made mayonnaise. <laughs> and that was my tweet. And then it became this lovely, like all these people sharing their mayonnaise recipes. <laughs> and I'm so like, funny. like today I'm going to make, someone said, you know, you make a grilled cheese sandwich instead of spreading butter on the bread to grill it, put mayo on it. <laughs> And I was like, this is, a, wow, genius. So like five years ago, I'd be like, you fucking asshole. You're an asshole. And now I'm like, <laughs> put mayo on it instead of butter and it'll be better. And I'm like, oh my God. There it is, a positive energy, right? It's yeah. like Twitter. Twitter is just, Twitter is what you put into it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, let me take a little risk here and ask a question. And if I'm being too personal, you can tell me to, to shut There's up. There's no such thing. There's okay. No such... Well, and I only bring it up because you have a couple of times, but you talked about your divorce in 2016, kind of coinciding with the end of the Esquire. Uh, I'm no. a child of divorce. And, I'll, you know, just being very forthright, the idea of being divorced is something that, you know, it's like a nightmare to me. It was something uh, I would find it very hard to get through. I've had friends who've been divorced. Um, let me frame this in a way of like, those two things happening at the same time had to be extra difficult. And it seems like the process of uh, finding a place you're really happy in, in your career and then getting through this, maybe there's a, a parallel trajectory there. Yeah. I mean, it was just, I won't sugarcoat. It was awful. Uh, I didn't get married to get uh, divorced. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to go into the reasons why I got divorced, but um it wasn't, it wasn't entirely up to me. It wasn't really my choice. Uh, and so I, I felt, I mean, I was terrified for my kids because my parents are, my parents love each other to pieces. Like that's the, that's the upbringing I had. Yeah. Uh, like my parents spend every minute of every day together. Um, and I, uh, you know, my family shudders to think about what happens when one of them goes, like they will be the couple that dies within minutes. Like it's, right, right. um, so that was my model. And then I end up divorced. Um, and I was terrified for my kids who were like 10 and eight at the time. Um, and telling them remains like probably the worst moment of my life. Really? Um, oh God, my younger son made a noise that like I can still hear. Mm. Um, and I was, I was jobless. Um, I just didn't know. You know, I was a person who planned and I had like, I knew what my life was going to be. And then all of a sudden I didn't know, like your job and your marriage or two, you're like, I had to sell my house, which was my other sort of big life. Like I had, we had this great big old house that I was restoring and, you know, I couldn't afford to keep it in the divorce. And so I sold it and it was just like everything I knew was just going, I moved into this tiny house, like a literal tiny house, uh, licked my wounds, um, you know, tried to look after my kids, uh, I just tried to, I just tried to get better. It was just like, you can't, but it was, it was misery. And all, and all you can do is like every day you just try to do a little something to improve your life or someone else's life or it, 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 it became, I became very good at not looking too far ahead. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think in a way there's like an advantage to not, like to your horizon being like two weeks because you don't really know what's happening. Like I wouldn't have put in April of 2016. I didn't know any of this was coming. Yeah. Well, I uh, mean, you know, divorce or no divorce, you could say like a, a foundation of much anxiety and mental illness is this idea of fearing the future, right. Of, of, like you said, that horizon being a little bit too far in advance uh, and that not being a very healthy thing. You have no control over it. You have no, like it's, it's, uh, and so I, I think I've become like more fatalistic, um, more like, Oh, it's just up to however things work out. Uh, and, and all you can do then is you just try to be a good person and you try to do good work and, and you hope stuff comes back. And that, that sounds so arty farty is it, but I will say like 20, like since the TV show started in 2018, like 
my life has never been better. Yeah. And it's, it's just, my kids have come out of everything. Okay. Uh, you know, I've got a wonderful girlfriend. My work is going well. Uh, I'm, I, I managed to buy a house again. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, my, my, the immediate feedback loop I've received is that if you're, if you just try to be good, good things happen. Like that's, that's the lesson I've had. And I'm sure bad shit is coming. <laughs> like, of course it is. Cause life isn't, life isn't a straight line. It's but just maybe but, not within the next two weeks, maybe not within the next two weeks. And it's like, and I, and I have become very cognizant of like appreciating, like my parents are healthy. My kids are well, like I'm in that sandwich generation where every and right now everything's fine. There will come a time in my life when I look back on this time as being wonderful. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to remember that that's like, this is a really good lucky time. Um, I just caught, I caught some really lucky. I mean, the fact that the TV show happened. Yeah. Like that's the luckiest fucking break. Like Jesus, like you can't bank on, Oh, I got I need I need a lifeline. Hopefully I got a TV show made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's not how life works, but it worked for me. And it's like, it's, uh, you know, I gotta be aware that I got really lucky. So it's just, it's, inc it's increments. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you, you, you just, you can't think of the whole, it's like when you're writing a book or you can't think of the whole thing today. I got to write a thousand really good words. Right. And if I do that, if I do that for a hundred days, I'll have a book. Yeah. But today I got to do this. And that's, 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 I think the lesson of 2016 for me, it's like every day you just try to do something small and achievable and tangible to make progress. And then at the end of it, you get, you do make progress. So Chris, this is uh, I wouldn't be a journalist if I didn't ask the hard hitting questions. Uh, I am from upstate New York, about an hour South of the Canadian border. Uh, and when people, uh, where are you they, from? Where, wait, where? Saranac Lake, Lake Placid area. Do you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So when people in my high school said they had a Canadian girlfriend, it was fake. Uh, and so I want to ask you, you mentioned a girlfriend. You're in Canada. Is it a real girlfriend? She is real. She's Romanian. Oh, okay. So it's not even so a I, Canadian girlfriend. So, so in, Can in Canada, <laughs> the, the equivalent in Canada of your Canadian girlfriend is your Romanian girlfriend. Okay. Um, but she's, uh, she's real. Uh, she lives in my house with me. Um, Nice. She's been amazing. She's, uh, you know, the TV show is a lucky break. Uh, Anna uh, is her name. And she was like a ridiculously lucky break. Um, I mean, you can see what I look like. Uh, and I live you in a look fine. You're very, <laughs> I live in a town of like, I think it was I like the idea that on Twitter, you're like, you know, th this thing you're talking about is like anybody insults you, you're coming at them. But in person, you're like, I'm ugly. I'm old. I can't write. I'm a where piece you, of shit. Where do, you think, where do you think that all came from? That's where I come from. <laughs> you're telling me what I know. If someone goes, you're an ugly piece of shit. I'm like, I know I am, but I can't accept that. So I got to fight you. Like, that's what it, like, it's, uh, it, it's all based in, fear um no she's 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 wonderful she's been um you know freak she got an instant family you talk about like two kids and uh, yeah, right. uh, yeah yeah so i've been 2016 was horrible if i have any remaining enemies they should be delighted that i experienced that it was the, <laughs> it was the nuclear bomb of my life um yeah. but uh, i got extremely lucky in the time since all right, the last little journalism-y question I'll ask you. Uh, this was a very small moment in your life, but a big one in mine. Do you remember uh, responding to a blog post I wrote about the ACC tournament uh, back in 2011? I, I wrote this very snarky, like, the media is bullshit. This is, I'm sorry, this was 2010, before Grantland. Um, media is bullshit. This is, uh, nobody asks good questions. Nobody's writing hard-hitting stories. Uh, I'm here for my journalism school and uh I, I know what it's like and i wrote this blog post and it went around and you had a blog called son of bold venture at that point uh does this does this ring any bells that you wrote this response it does did i say i was going to throw you from a great height i think so yeah i mean this was <laughs> but i have to say like this was a very overall a very nice post but there was an element of violence that you would have yeah, you would have done something because i gave a guy a finger uh we got <laughs> i remember and it was like an old guy right he he wasn't that like maybe in his fifties or something. Um, he was a radio oh, so, guy and so basically basically dead. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not worth mentioning as a human being. Uh, but but no, yeah. So you you wrote this, Chris, and I just wanted to bring it up because it is the thing Ugh. the thing that brought me to Bill Simmons's attention. 
Uh, I wrote an apology later. There's, the blog post, unfortunately, is no longer there, but I wrote an apology later referencing your piece, and uh, I'm going to embarrass you by reading your comment uh, to that. You said, Chris Jones here, I, ho I hope you took the compliments as well as the criticisms out of my post. If I thought you were a no-hoper, just another kid destined to do something else, I wouldn't have taken the time, but you have great potential, and it goes on. Uh, but anyway, that launched my, that's the only reason I have a career because Bill Simmons saw your post and got in touch with me. And then later I emailed him and finagled my way into a, a job blogging for Grantland. So, uh, I want to get your that's thoughts great. on that, but also say thank you. Uh, well, you're welcome. <laughs> it's like weird. Uh, I remember that. And I, I think, I think my exact, so one of the things I believe about when you threaten physical violence, uh, it has to be specific. Yeah. Right. So if someone says, I'm going to beat the shit out of you, I blow that off. I'm like, well, that person's not going to do anything. They're too vague. They're, yeah, they're not imagining exactly what they would do. But if someone says, I'm going to take my right foot and I'm going to kick you in the face with it right here, they're going to do that. And I remember what I remember most of my response to you, I think, was that I said I was going to throw you from a height. I think I, think I said I was going to like yeah. pick you off a balcony or something. Uh, I do remember that. I remember thinking... So one of my, one of my, one of the things that would always set me off, uh, and it's still, I still don't understand it exactly is when a young writer will take a run at like an experienced veteran who has like a name. It just doesn't seem smart to me. It yeah. seems like, it just doesn't seem like a wise. And by the way, real, just real quick, this was like a radio guy. He was, and he, right. and he wasn't, he wasn't like a journalist. He was just there. He kind of finagled the past somehow. But. No, you, 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 I remember you painting a picture because I think that's why, like, had you done that to Bill Simmons, I would have been like, well, you are a moron. Fucking idiot. Like, that's, yeah. yeah. That's just like, because <laughs> Bill will now like, I have cost people jobs because they've been dickheads. And it's like, it's, that's how this business works. Like it's yeah. all through, yeah. you know? So uh, I remember that, but I remember thinking, I remember being impressed by your writing and being, and one of the things that I think uh, going back to that sort of company of writers or community of writers, like I think it's the, the job of people who got onto the Island to help other people onto the Island. Like, I think it's, it's, I've, I've, I've often wrestled with like, being a cheerleader for writing because it's such a hard gig mm -hmm. and it's such a hard thing to like make work as a career. And so you talk to young writers and I'm always in the back of my head. I'm like, well, I hope I'm not setting them up for disappointment. Um, but it's such a great life and such a good job that I want people to try. Like if they have any sense of like talent and I remember, and this will sound like I'm, puffing you up, but I remember yeah, reading and I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be fishing for compliments. No, 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 no. I was no, not, no. I was it's, not it's coming a, across that way. It's a, no, it's a worthy compliment. I remember reading it going, oh, this guy can do it. Like, you can see, especially when a young, like, if he, I was like, this guy could do it. Like, he, 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 I meant what I said where I was like, I wouldn't have taken it. If you were just, yeah. Well, I, and, I you like, know, it's funny because I meant, I meant what I said too about being grateful, even though I was laughing. It re you really did sort of, you looked at this and it was clear you were annoyed by what I had done and rightfully so. When I read it a year later, I was like, oh my goodness. Um, but you you did it in such a way that you it was a productive thing and obviously it helped me. Uh, so yeah, I just <laughs> I wanted to bring that up because you were, the, you were the reason. You were the reason I 10 years later or whatever it is. That's great. That's that I get great. paid for writing. Um, and one other quick thing I wanted to mention, you talked about uh, being in the company of writers and having them be good company. We have a mutual acquaintance in Kevin and Valkenberg. Oh, uh, and I just, I don't know if you find this, but I remember every single time I hang out with him, right from the start, I was like, this is maybe the most witty person I've ever met in real life. The most, like, I consider myself, you know, like if I'm in a group of people, I can be funny and I'm confident, but he was like intimidatingly funny. Uh, I, I know you yes. guys are friends. And so, so can I, can, do we have time for me to give KVV some love? Yeah, please do. Can I do that? Yeah. So Kevin, Kevin, I met Kevin. There was, there was a website, there is, it still exists. There's a message board called sportsjournalist.com. And that witty, you know, Kevin was extremely witty on this site. And we all had like fake names, okay. handles. And I, I sent him a message being like, oh, I think you're, he recommended a book. He recommended um, The Things They Carry by Tim O'Brien. And I read it and I loved it. And I was like, well, oh, shit, I kind of want to know this guy more. So I sent him a PM and I was like, hey, I'm Chris. He's like, oh, hey, I'm Kevin. And I was coming through Baltimore and we had like a blind date. That's uh, funny. And I, yeah. and I wish we still, I wish I had the voicemail because we were meeting in a, uh, a bar in the inner Harbor and he like, 
in a very Kevin way, he left me this voicemail. I'll go, hey, I'm sitting at the bar. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I got a golf shirt on and my, uh, I got some cargo shorts and, uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of chubby. And he hung up. <laughs> and we, we, I meet at the, it was like, I meet this guy at this bar. Uh, we end up drinking all day. We had to go for crab dip. Uh, and he's become one of my, like, my best friends on earth. And Kevin is just like, oh my God, he's, he's so funny. He's so, deep feeling he's just such a good good guy. i literally texted i texted kevin last i texted kevin last night to say when are you moving here so i can stop worrying about you that's funny that's funny. like i guess i i love him so much he's such a good good guy my dream is that um you know now i'm trying to get all my journalism friends in a tv right <laughs> Yeah, yeah, get like a whole posse. Bring me in, please. If you you have a room for like the lowest, just like Grantland, I'll be the lowest guy in the totem pole and I'll I'll work like a dog and that's it. Yeah, Uh, I just want to get all my friends into a room and make a show. But it's like, Kevin is like, he's so smart. Yeah. He's so smart. And like, so like, especially about pop culture, he'd read something and he'd be like, you know, his, his takes on the wire and stuff like that. I was always like, God, this guy's smart. Yeah. Such a good, good, good guy. And that's, that's that's what I am talking about. Like this business gives you access, not to like celeb, like who gives a shit about Penelope Cruz? It gives you access to guys like Kevin Van Valkenburg. Yeah. And it's like that, those are the gifts of the life, you know? All right, that's plenty for Kevin, for God's sakes. He's going to get a big Jeez, he's going to be all, you know, he's going <laughs> to, he's going to listen to this and he's going to blubber. He's going to be all like, I love you, man. And he's going to give me a big hug and it's going to be nice. All right. So this is the section, Chris, where we pretend it's still a sports podcast. And, uh, and I asked you, you know, we talked about it briefly before we started recording, but I said, you know, is there anything you want to talk about with sports? And you kind of mentioned how, uh, you know, you, you talked about soccer a little bit, but the bigger theme of realizing just how much sports means to you, uh, when it's completely cut off like this, right? Oh my God. Yeah. I was, I, I, I got to admit, I was always like slightly embarrassed by my love of sports. Um, because when people don't like sports, it it seems ridiculous. And when you try to explain it, it's you can't explain it in a way that makes it any less ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, there's no like rational justification for loving watching sports. Like it's silly. Um, but I I play sports. I coach my 12 year old soccer team. Um, I watch sports quite a lot. I write about you know, and to have that disappear. And it happened so abruptly. It happened, I, had this, I had this very sporty day. March 11th was an extremely sporty day for my family. Like we, I coached, uh, my, my son is a fan of Liverpool. Liverpool played Atletico in uh, the Champions League. And we watched until we had to leave. We left, uh, Liverpool were up 2-1 and we left to go. Sam had his final of his indoor soccer season, which I coached. Uh, we lost that game. I was crushed. And then I look at the phone. Liverpool has somehow lost their game. They got Sam eliminated got, from the Champions League. They got day. eliminated. And they were up 2-1 the last I looked. So I'm like, oh, that's over. And then it was like they lost 3-2 somehow. And um, and I think that was the score. And Sammy, you know, Sammy's now Sammy's sad. Uh, and then I played that night. Uh, I had a game. Uh, I lost. And then uh, I came home. And that was the night the NBA that was the night they pulled NBA players off the court. Sounds like a Wednesday, probably, right? It was a Wednesday. Salt Lake City, yeah. maybe somewhere. It was like the first, like the the. It was yeah, because Rudy Gobert, they had he had tested positive. Yeah. And it was like, what is? Oh, what's this? And then yeah, I had that first inkling of like, hmm, maybe this will be bad. And then the next day there was some football, like in empty stadiums, and then and then it was over, and it just vanished. Everything vanished at once, and it, it made me realize like how what an anchor you know i was talking about like my job and my marriage and how like it's one of those anchors of my life like i i had never gone more than two weeks without playing coaching or watching football soccer like it had never happened and all of a sudden now it's and and uh it was just weird to lose it and what i especially missed about it was you know with sam my the 12 year old he's it's my principal conduit with him Right. He loves Liverpool. I love Burnley. We watch soccer together every week. He plays. I coach. She watches my games. Like it's our principal interaction, form of interaction. And it's like once I was gone, it was like I lost this piece of my relationship with him. It was like this, mm. and so it made me feel like sports aren't so silly. Like they, they, they might be silly like on the surface of things, but they really have deep meaning for a lot of people. And the meaning is not 
you know, so-and-so scored a goal. It's the connection and the believing in something outside of yourself and that sense of belonging with, you know, the fans of that team or with your team um, or fathers and sons or fathers and daughters or mothers. And, you know, it's like, it's, it means a lot. And, uh, and I think in a way, you know, a lot of the sort of underlying theme of our chat has been gratitude. Like the EPL comes back on June the 17th. I'm going to watch every <laughs> game. Like, I don't care if it's two shit teams I don't care about. I'm watching everything. You've been it's getting like, into the, the German stuff at all? Yeah, all of a sudden I was like, I need a German team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was like, so Burnley's my uh, English team, but I, I, I think I tweeted. I was like, what's, what's the German Burnley? Uh, it's Mines, And so I've suddenly become a big fan of Mines. Nice, uh, nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, I think, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's like you see this... Uh, and 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 today on Twitter they had a they had a, class, a fan said a fan was like had renounced his membership because they had too many African players. Oh really? And, yeah. And mine tweeted back something like, um, you know, normally we're sad when we lose someone, but sometimes we're relieved. That's and good. Was, the one thing I found out, I guess, like you, I've been learning a lot about it, and uh, I find it's like if you talk about the history of these teams, it's like flip a coin. Half of them are radical leftists. Like, <laughs> freaks and the other half are fascists <laughs> yeah like, so it sounds like mine's like maybe has some fascist elements but the team is on the right path or uh, 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 yeah i'm like if they're like burnt if they are truly like burnley and i don't know enough about mine's to make the comparison like working class small team yeah. always yeah. always going to finish like 15th like the goal is just not to be relegated that's it like that's 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 my team. I, I I don't want Liverpool. I don't want Man U. I don't want Man City. Yeah. I want Burnley. So yeah. All right, Chris. The last question I'll ask you. We've we've hit on it before. Uh, you and I were both at Grantland when it started. Um, I don't think either one of us were there when it finished. But I, you know, I, when you look back now on that Grantland phase of your life, for me, it's such a strange thing. Uh, what is your take on it? What's your perspective? Sort of the eyes of the internet were on the site at the beginning. Uh, obviously, it had a sad end. But what do you make of it now? Is it a pleasant memory? That's mixed, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, Bill also found me from the blog. Okay. Uh, and I remember very clearly, like, receiving a call from him uh, as I was sitting there in my underwear and being, like, very nervous that Bill Simmons was calling me. Um, and, and at first, my understanding was that basically I was going to do the blog for Grantland. Okay. Like, I was going to write about writing and stuff like that. Yeah, and then. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember who now, but someone like fairly high wanted to do that much higher than me wanted to do that. And so I didn't. And so, you know, I was writing about baseball, mostly the American league East. And, um, and I wrote some things that I am proud of, but I also, you know, I had some like factual errors and Tom Skoka, that, that was like peak deadspin and me, Tom Skoka was just, uh, not incorrectly. He was on my ass for like, I, I, I literally got the date wrong. The day I lost my virginity was the day the Blue Jays won their first World Series. Okay. Yeah. Which I had always remembered as October 27th, 1992, like since <laughs> it had happened. So when I was writing about that World Series, I just wrote October 27th. It's actually October 24th. Okay. Like I've, had the, yeah. I've had the day wrong since it happened. <laughs> um, and so it was like this, it was this, you know. And I, You know what? I remember that. I remember him. Immediately. Yeah, that was like, I'm sure, mana for him. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I made another mistake with the uh, Baltimore Orioles in the playoffs because I looked at some site that only recorded their World Series appearances and not their a yeah. LD or something. I Sad up as it is, that's the stuff you'll always remember, right? I mean, or among the good stuff, but also that stuff will stick in the craw a little bit. Yeah, and I wish I'd done sort of better. Like, I, I wish I'd... I'd um, I wish I'd done better. Uh, there's a couple things. I wrote a thing about... Um, it's funny, a piece that comes up quite often still, I wrote a piece about the art of the body shot in boxing. I do, uh, yeah, that was a great piece. You, you wrote a lot of great pieces. Look. I hope, yeah, I hope we don't paint the wrong picture that one, like, date error makes any difference. I, no, I always felt like I let them down. I always felt like that. So that's my, when I say mixed, like, it was very, I was excited and I was happy uh, to be part of it. It was really fun when it launched. Like, it felt like, oh, I'm part of the coolest thing right now. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I, it was nice that Bill sort of gave me that nod. Um I have this weird feeling that I like let them down, uh, that I didn't, uh, you know, between Esquire and all my others, like, I just, I, I, I wish I had done a better job. That's, that's what I think about that. I, I'm glad I was part of it. I think it was a really cool thing. Um, I'm glad you got to be part of it. It gave a lot of opportunities to a lot of writers, uh, Bill for all the stick Bill takes about 
stuff. Like he is a, he has an amazing nose for talent. Uh, and he lets people work. Like he, he's made more jobs for more people than just about anyone else in our business. Yeah, definitely. Um, but my, 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 like what I think, what you asked me about it, my overwhelming sense is I wish I did better. All right, we can't end on that. Say something okay, happy. Sorry. Say, say something happy about mayonnaise, and then I'll say Chris Jones, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to get off this uh, delightful conversation. And by the way, may I say I'm so glad that uh, ten years ago you wrote that that terrible blog, and then I responded. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's awesome. Um, I'm about to embark on my first. Uh, I'm going to make a cheese and egg sandwich. And as recommended by some delightful Twitter follower, I'm going to use mayonnaise instead of butter on the outside. And I'm anticipating that within 15 minutes from now, I will have an orgasmic reaction to a, a, a toasty. Well, that's perfect. Chris Jones, thank you very much. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me. Segment break. Yeah. Thank you very much, Chris Jones. That was a lot of fun. Thank you all for listening. And, uh, like I said, episode number 13, Apocalypse Sports Radio. You can always find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to these things. You can find us there. Uh, if you like it, tell a friend, you know, spread the word, leave a five-star review on iTunes, whatever you want to do. And again, uh, if this is new to you and you're intrigued, uh, go to ApocalypseSports.net and you can find more podcasts and more writing there. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Thank you again. Goodbye. Goodbye.